Innovating Cosmos is a growing global community of hands-on and would-be innovators, designed to share ideas and resources, to network, collaborate and to innovate, to make the world, through innovating, a far better place for all. Welcome to episode 21 of Innovating Cosmos podcast. I'm Peter Letts. There's a revolution in the way people want to learn, and it's driving big changes in the way education is being delivered in our new digital world. While the old academic institutions have been slow to wake up to change, innovative thinkers are stepping up to offer more diverse, flexible and dynamic models in learning. And at the forefront of change is Brendan Maloney, CEO of the Darlow Group. As a graduate of the University of Melbourne, Brendan established Darlow in 2011, bringing together PhDs and industry specialists to improve communications and publishing in areas as diverse as e-learning, digital marketing and technical communication. Augmented reality, virtual reality and holograms are all part of the mix. Innovating Cosmos founder Neville Christie caught up with Brendan to find out more about what's happening in the learning space, what Brendan calls the unbundling of knowledge, and in the delivery of many new forms of content. The way that people take in learning and lessons and ideas is not going to be from one person standing at the front of a um, a chalkboard dishing out lessons in that we've got such volume of content being spread all around the world through the online environment and internet that this learning culture has changed substantially. So we're in a more visual culture. I think we're in a more culture that is getting rid of intermediaries. I think content curation is another interesting trend that we could probably talk about. I think the relevance of large institutions and the nature of individuals learning in those environments is changing as well, especially with the accessibility of education nowadays, whether you need to travel all the way out to a suburban campus to get lessons that you could be sitting on the couch for. A lot of education was based on the first and second industrial revolution and, you know, the factory. Uh, We've obviously uh, been through the third industrial revolution, if you like, which is the whole internet, worldwide web computers, uh, which transformed really significant our attitude to knowledge. So, like, I remember uh, some of the early developments, which were very much Mm. data-based, using pretty primitive uh, technology. Mm. Uh, On there, then, sort of a purposeful direction was added which then gave us information. Mm. When you take a body of information and systematise it, you get knowledge. Mm. And if the knowledge is then added experiential and some sort of application, I guess you get to a form of wisdom. Mm. So uh, you talked about content curation. I'm interested an unbundling of knowledge. So I guess I'm interested where you see that data, information, knowledge, wisdom bit being in terms of the future of education. Well, I think it's it's really quite an interesting um, trend that's happening in terms of um, who owns knowledge, uh, how it's accessed, and who basically can, I guess, claim to be wise nowadays. Um, (laughs) Apart from you and me, you mean. Well, that's right. Present company excluded. Of course. Um, I think one of the interesting things I'm finding is, like, we go out to a lot of corporations and industry Um, Also, we deal with a lot of our online content and there's just a convergence of all forms of communication into this one large distribution channel, aka the internet. Can you explain that a bit more, please? The convergence? Well, so basically, um, maybe as close to 10 or 15 years ago, but definitely before that, there were basically siloed forms of information or knowledge. So you could go to a physical library and get some knowledge. You could go to a university class 
and listen to someone talk about... Get numb at one end and numb at the other exactly. and say that was or, knowledge. Or yes. you'd go to a, a factory and they would have a particular type of knowledge. Nowadays, I think, um, like we go to a lot of factories, they want to upgrade and become part of the, the tech revolution. Yes. Um, so they're taking a lot of their processes, putting it online, which essentially is education for the end user. Mm-hmm. They would have the wisdom, but it's a matter of turning that content into an accessible form that can be accessed throughout their community. So mm-hmm. what I see is that, that it's a very disruptive fundamentally to the way that knowledge is distributed and how you can access it, who can produce it, and how it's um, organised. So It's now a global market, isn't it? I mean, just, right. a, just a very small personal example. Six weeks ago, my wife had a heart attack. We went to uh, Royal Melbourne Hospital and her symptoms just didn't seem to make sense and the doctors were very, very concerned about her ability to survive. So they did x-rays and MRIs, but Sunday night, two o'clock in the morning actually, there weren't many experts around in Melbourne. So they actually sent this by technology to America Mm. and there was a doctor there, a specialist there who Mm. said this is what's called a broken heart syndrome. Mm. This is what happens. This is what you need to do about it. Mm. And as a result of that, my wife survived, whereas quite likely without that uh, global knowledge, uh, she wouldn't. And this is part of the trend, isn't it? I think everyone can relate a story along those lines. Yes. My wife had um, some uh, dental work and the um, the doctor had sent x-rays to Israel for a second opinion and it was back by the time she'd finished her appointment. So yeah, it's I, amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. incredible. So that's why I think like there's this um, this fundamental change. So I think organisations like ours, the value we can we really and your company name is Darlo D A R L O proprietary and um, you can also find Darlo Digital, which uh, engages with a lot of these um, this e learning approach. Yes, but I, I suppose so. Apart from the unbundling of knowledge, I'm still not clear about that. So, so, so um, all right. So if we take a uh, a conventional, say, university program. It's divided into um, 12 weeks, Yes, which resembles the harvest. Yes, yes, just uh, to deviate that, I'm amazed that there's sort of, what, how many weeks in a a university year? Uh, Probably 24, 26. Right, and and this allowed people to go and do the harvest uh, in between... Or probably work in the factory or what have you. And yet we keep on it when it should be. I mean, still people argue over whether you could have three or four semesters a year rather than two. So it's, I think in this context, institutionally, these um, these things are are in trouble. But, you know... Not all people, obviously there's progressive, innovative thinkers as well. But so basically what happens in that environment is there's a linear, usually a linear sequence of 12 lessons that are contained into discrete parcels and structured in that predictable 12-week format. But I think uh, the unbundling of that is that you don't have to follow 12 weeks all the time or 13 weeks. You could put it into... Modules. Little modules or little snippets or two-minute videos or or just different varieties that, Mm. that are digestible, equally educational, but profoundly different in the way they're presented and more contemporary. You haven't touched on three things, artificial intelligence yet or uh, holograms or um, uh, augmented reality. So yeah, I'm waiting for that, uh, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just well, buttering you up. There's your opportunity. <laughs> so what are they all about? So, uh, you know, I think um, we've had a fundamental revolution and with internet and technology changing the way that things are distributed, but it's definitely not the end of the story. No. So 
I think what's upon us, particularly because we're interested in content and delivery of content, is um, rather than putting static uh, text-based web pages up online, mm-hmm. that the next phase for society will be the development of more hologram, artificial intelligence, augmented reality and virtual reality, which oh. are the forms of... Um, Hologram. Um, so you better so explain them, at least for those of us who are not so sure. Holograms? Yeah, so holograms are, um, are visual projections from an object, basically. This bit like Star Wars, where. Yeah, like Princess Leia popping out of. Um, into a hologram or a, a visual for Obi-Wan Kenobi to save the universe. Yeah, I quite like the idea of me popping out into 3D reality. Well, that would be... Yes. I mean, the, there's a telephone technology the where you can already do that. So Is you, can, you pop out little animals, play games on it, um, and pretty soon it'll be projecting people, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so augmented reality? Augmented reality is a, a kind of a semi-immersive experience. So halfway... Immersive, like in a bath, is it? Where exactly. You really climb into the bath? Exactly. So if you imagine, like, your arms to out of the bath and the rest of you are in water. Yeah. That's the augmented reality experience here. Half in the physical world, half in the... Um, in the digital world. In the digital world. Okay. So you might have, for instance, um, walking around a, um, a construction site with a visor on that will be identifying objects that you can see yes. and it will tell you which are dangerous or which are out of place. I've also seen uh, sort of goggles that you put on while you might be repairing uh, a plane, you know, like the engine of a plane. Absolutely. And, and the manuals in there and what to yep. do is all there. So yep. it's actually visual in terms and it's real in yep. terms of what you're doing. So. I think in terms of processing the whole environment through those kind of um, like Google Glasses and beyond yes. will be the way and obviously there's a lot of ethical privacy issues around that but in terms of interpreting data from the environment and working with that will be, um, you know, like cooking you'll, pr- you'll have a recipe oh, right, uh, yeah. pop up and yeah. be able to use Brave it. New World. Yeah. I might not burn the, the cake next time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> or there'll be a trigger warning sign to tell you. Yes, danger, danger, danger. So what about uh, virtual reality? Um, We hear a lot about that. What's that? So virtual reality is a full experience where you're completely in the bath underwater. You've got all the um, the visual environment around you and you might be, um, you know, taking a a trip to Rome and walking around the streets or be in Jurassic Park and have um, dinosaurs. There was a film uh, or a couple of films with Arnie Schwarzenegger where uh, that was the sort where he went like on a virtual holiday and in the movie you didn't know whether That's it, right. it was the real reality or the virtual That's reality. Right. Yes. So those, those themes are popping up, but yeah. you know, um, Microsoft has developed a headset, uh, and there's a few other um, headsets and visors around. Yes, and you can only expect that the gaming world will usher in more of those changes. I've heard you talk quite a lot about um, interactive learning, mm. and also that learning needs to move more to being tribal or communal or mm. or group rather than the sort of learning that maybe we've been used to of of being tested at the end as an individual for example yeah i think that the uh, the orientation of learning if you want to put it in a slightly pretentious way is changing yes. in that um previously you'd have um organization or individuals that would be the fountain of of all knowledge or or be true experts or specialists in the field because there was no other way to access that information it was solely through that person or that institution that's broken down and i think the two dynamics now are you have user-led or individual-led learning 
where individuals like you and me are interested in innovation so we can seek out content and learning on innovation and become better informed. We could always do that through a library, but now the, the options are tenfold um, or more of what we can access. And the other, I think, trend is a, a real shift to strong preferences about what people want to learn. So in the past, you were very much told if this is the subject you're going to participate yeah, and in. and you had no choice. Or right. you could choose the exactly. subject within that. If like, this is your con- professional training, this is it. Mm. You're not going to deviate from that. Whereas I think now people are beginning to say, no, well, hang on a sec, I've got a fair bit of um, wisdom or, or I know myself what yes. I'm good at or what I want to learn and I know that that way of delivery is not the right one for me or I don't particularly like that person's perspective on things so I'm going to seek out somebody else who has a perspective that I that reinforces what I want to learn yeah which can be good and bad but I think that's the nature of things so I've mentioned before but um on the internet you've got the rise of the academic guru just before you get there there's two trends that that interest me uh both from a mentoring perspective one of them is that I've seen some research and done some work on peer-to-peer mentoring that for example in a particularly in a university learning environment, are two innocents that don't know the subject matter or the content Mm. or whatever are actually very good mentors of each other because Mm. what they do is ask questions out of ignorance. They don't know what they don't know, but but by mutually asking that, they start to form a framework of curiosity. And uh, Have you seen that at work? Uh, Peer-to-peer is, um, I think, being used for good and evil purposes. Do you? One, one, one it's been used as a cost-cutting measure, so <laughs> you get people to teach yes. each other. Sure. But on another level, I think um, it's pretty well established as a, a strong pedagogical model for learning, but yes. anything from languages to group work or yeah. peer work or whatever. And I, I think there's something um, nice about that approach too in that it's okay to fail or it's okay not to know stuff and I think there has been um, you know in a very competitive slightly industrial model that that is less tolerated so yes. now we're moving to, I think, a, a new age of enlightenment, if you want to put it that way. I think so. And, and one of my first mentors many years ago said that there's two types of information, that which you know or you mm. learn mm. Uh, and that which you know how to find out. Yep. And I guess the whole shift with the internet and search engines and yep. and the amount of information and content that's available through yep. various media is moved increasingly to the second way, hasn't it? Yeah, that's yes. right. That's yeah. right. Do you see that? Yeah, and I think, again, I think there's, a, as all things, there's new jobs and new uh, occupations and fields being developed. So if I go back to holograms for a second, the whole society would change fundamentally, not only learning, but the tertiary and secondary environment yes. would change too. You'd need yeah. docking stations and fridges and we've talked like about the internet of things. I think mm. it's very much part of that whole reappraisal of the physical environment which will have a huge economic multiplier as yeah. well. And, well, like with the yeah. internet of things or the internet of everything where you've got mm. the, your fridge uh, mm. talking to you and saying you need some more butter or whatever, that's right, that's right. Uh, that can be programmed to learn, say, like, if you're going to use that butter, like, you better check that it's the right temperature or whatever. Well, so. and also it will be adaptive to you. I like butter slightly softer than you, Neville, so... <laughs> so you the, don't know how soft I don't know, I don't know how soft. <laughs> I mean, I guess reasonably soft. But, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? There'll be uh, not only 
the content being delivered, but adapting to your particular preferences or input. So, yes, which is lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, more customization. Yeah. There is a huge level of customization. Doesn't that happening. run the? Doesn't that run the major danger of just sort of reinforcing our biases and our preoccupations rather than making our mind more curious and opening it up to possibilities we never thought of? I think it can, but I think. Um, I mean, that's the worst-case scenario, that everybody just goes narrow into their field of interest. Of course. But I I think in terms of people, I I have the perception that they're naturally curious and even um, things get old. People like novelty. When I look at our politicians, I wonder about that. Well, that's true, that's true. I mean, so I I think... uh, well, you could argue the other way that um, all um, knowledge dissemination reflects someone's preference of or, course, or yeah. bias. Anyway, of course, yeah. bias is built in, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I, I think if the, the question's about is technology or this innovation stifling, I think the opposite. I think it's mm-hmm. going to encourage a whole deal of creativity, adaptability and flexibility because they're the only ways that people are going to survive into the future. I really feel strongly with you that it's said that we're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution and, and that's really that's breaking down enormous silos of knowledge, of, of science and, and like, you know, we're seeing the blends of the physical sciences with the digital world, with the mental sciences, mm-hmm. uh, with the spiritual sciences, mm. if we can call them sciences, mm. and, and like that breakdown of all the silos that you talked about before is is an, a huge revolution in itself, isn't it? Oh. To, to see life more holistically, like medicine, you know, it's not just treating the body anymore; it's treating the mind and the spirit as well. So, and, yeah. and I think you know, even simple things. The degree of urbanisation has brought with it a whole bunch of new thinking, um, globalisation as well, you know, people mixing from elsewhere. I think Australian educators are now looking to deliver more um, courses than like in Africa and that will have a flow-on effect back to Australia. So, again, I think there's some really exciting opportunities up ahead. I agree. Yeah. I um, interrupted you. You were about to talk about gurus in education. Yeah, so I think um, one thing that's noticeable with the internet and a lot of people, you know, watching YouTube or or being online um, more is that it's bringing a a cult of personality and I think it's interesting for me, for being an academic, that people gaining credibility in particular areas are not from an academic background per se. You know, they're well-read, they're highly literate, but the following that they have is phenomenal. So you might see an average... um, you know, professional association or university having 20 or 30 views, whereas somebody who's sitting in their kitchen in the States or Australia or wherever talking on a particular topic could have in the millions of views, which I know it's not a popularity contest, but in a way it is because it's showing that there's a tribalism that's developing that people are looking for in a way, thought leaders yes. to connect with. And I think that's very I, I actually, I find this really interesting that, that when we look around the world in the political and economic sphere, uh, it's very hard to actually identify really effective leaders. Mm. And it seems to me that we're going through a process where the leader has to be the individual, the individual citizen, um, mm. forming his own network or node or communication uh, and, you know, sort of not saying where are the leaders, like we are the leaders, yes. Well, there's, I think the exciting part is there's a real clash of populism versus establishment and you can yes. see that throughout the world. But Absolutely. how this relates to education... Well, sorry, I think, I think it's also collectivism in the sense of, mm. of looking to an authority figure or... Mm. 
a university or a church or a temple mm. as against, hey, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think this clash of, of worlds in a way is very interesting. Yes, and I think, the, I think the, um, the sorting out will actually be that the internet and the populace win at the end of the day. Mm. And a lot of these institutions will be reconfigured. Yeah. And I think that... I mean, essentially, education, you could argue, comes from um, large part from various religions. So it's um, carrying on that kind of educational yes. uh, tradition. That, that I actually agree with you. At Innovating Cosmos, we actually say of the 12 major domains that we're working on, the one that needs biggest innovation is organisations and institutions, which, mm, mm. which are less relevant than they ever used to be. Mm. Well, I mean, one of the interesting things too is you look at corporations, they're actively seeking out these individuals as influencers to influence people to connect with their audiences and like. Mm. So again, I, I go back to the point, there's a convergence, I think, between media, advertising, education, public relations, business, anything that involves communication, I think is collapsing into one one stream of, of communication and it's all being sorted out at the moment as we're living through it. It's fascinating new world. Yeah, it is. It's brilliant. So convergence, you see, is a very big thing, the breaking down of silos, all these different parts all coming together in a bigger, more messy whole. Absolutely. And I think it's market-driven. Yeah. I think it's consumer-driven. I think it's unstoppable. Me too. Yep. So, um, as a former educator and businessman who's in various ways committed to changing education and particularly changing education online in various ways, mm. what do you see as the imperatives for a parent or a, a person who's considering to go into university or an adult business person who wants to keep learning as a lifetime learner? Well, I, I think the assumption is that keep reading, keep learning is the the norm nowadays. Yes. Um, in terms of parents, what I would suggest is look to the future. I think we now need to look at uh, industries that are growing, uh, which is, again, quite easy. Jump online and find um, any number of magazines that are saying the top five or 10 or 20 things that are industries that are growing and direct your kids into those fields because they're, they're the ones that are ultimately going to um, create value. And I'd say that the idea of the job is probably um, undergoing some yes. change. Yes. So, again, it's about... Um, you know, well, well, a lot of research is saying that in the services industry, which is 67 to 68% of the Australian economy, hmm. that 50 to 70% of all jobs in the service industries will either go or be totally restructed yeah. in the next 10 years. So I think, again, I think that's a huge uh, criticism of the, um, the of formal education is that really, even conventional MBAs, they try to spit out people who are ready for a mature organisation. Yes. And I think perhaps at that time, the 50s, 60s, 70s, there were a lot of mature organisations or somewhat growing that needed people with those skill sets. But I think if you look at the business curve nowadays, early... It's all down at the starting. The start-up, yeah. innovation, growth. I think anyone who directs themselves to seeking out and finding any organisation in those fields uh, will not find themselves out of a job very quickly. It's more that mature end because there's so much disruption that's going on. You know, they're shedding jobs. But look at the innovation end, look at the startups, the growth phase, and you can create a life out of that, um, you know, really quite easily. And and one of the most wonderful trends I'm seeing is uh, the number of incubators and startup centres and collaborative areas where 
where many millennials, but not all, are, mm. are coming where there's 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 businesses all coming together, all starting, all collaborating, all working together, yep. but all building their own business and a career as yep. a startup or as a, a small business. Again, I, I think like there's a swing both ways. I think that, that entrepreneur education and innovation is really quite interesting. Yes. And having gone through that, it's quite interesting. But again, I think the majority of people are probably not attuned to those kind of risks and they don't need to be. Again, I think if you have skill sets to help those kind of people grow their business, yeah. you'd be like in a gold rush selling shovels. You're always going to be um, always needed. <laughs> uh, and, like and you're that. probably on the more profitable end side of things as well. My ancestors came out from uh, Scotland in 1852 mm. and they provided potatoes and vegetables to the gold mm, rush. And hence uh, the, the fortune, the Christian that, fortune. They, they built, <laughs> yes, they ended up owning a lot of land in Dalesford, so mm, yes. Yeah. Okay, so thanks so much, Dr. Brendan Maloney. Uh, your company is Darlow Digital. Uh, if people want to talk with you, look at doing some online courses with you, yep. uh, where do they go? Yep, so just uh, jump online. You can find DarlowDigital.com or you can email me, Brendan, at Darlow.com as well. Terrific. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Neville. Stay tuned as we continue to bring the best and latest on all topics in the big, wide world of innovating. Thanks for listening. I'm Peter Letts. Innovating Cosmos is a global community of innovators and would-be innovators who innovate collaboratively to make the world better, richer, healthier and fairer for all.